This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 712 of Flow Wrestling Radio Live. Super duper special edition. I'm joined today by James Dean Raider, Ben Funky Askren, and six-time world and Olympic champion. I see a belt in the background, Jordan Burroughs. Jordan, what's going on? Good morning. You see how I'm shifted. I positioned myself specifically so you can see the belt. I had to bring it down a level to make sure the background. No, I'm good, man. I'm good. Appreciate you. Heck yeah, man. So glad to have you on. And and, Why um, is there only one belt on the shelf, though? Shouldn't there be more? Yeah, honestly, I don't even know where all my other belts are. Then I got so many of them. Um, (laughs) Honestly, in the move, like, things were put in boxes and like so some Mm. stuff is in storage some stuff is in like my parents shed out back at the house so like things are kind of all around so i gotta kind of go try to collectively get everything back together they're around they're somewhere somewhere. did they now did they always give belts you you've been not to date you but you know back in 2011 were they giving belts out then they did they were just much different then right so remember in in 2011 we're still with fila and the belts were a lot more or let's say a, a lot less cool Right. They were just kind of this very thin leather strap. And then on the front was like this kind of gold metal that was like glued to the front of this leather strap. So it wasn't as like substantial. It wasn't like a real championship belt. It was just kind of like a wrestling's version of a championship belt. This one's legit, though. This one's fun to carry around. It's cool to show off. Um, this one's a little different. Sick. Sick. So uh, the the topic that... um a lot of people wanted to hear from you about was the topic of social media and you kind of um, started a conversation on Twitter when you were talking about young athletes and their use of social media and Twitter is no place for nuance, uh, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I I think it's important to get your, your full throated perspective on, on social media, something you are super savvy at. Yeah. So, you know, when I was tweeting this, I'm, I'm thinking back and reflecting on this past year for me it's hard when you tweet something, people can't hear the tone of your voice, right? So they don't really mm-hmm. understand 
uh, the dynamic of what you're trying to lay out. They just kind of read it and interpret it in their own fashion based on what they've experienced. So when a lot of people saw that, I think especially the younger audience, they're like, what, what does this guy really mean? And then the little more, you know, vibrant audience that wants to be entertained, they're like, no, that makes no sense. Especially with like the, the introduction of the NIL deal. Now everyone's kind of coming into this place where they're like, I have to be good on social media to make money. But my recommendation is if a young athlete came to me and said, hey, JB, I want to make more money. The last thing I would tell him to do is start to be good on social media. The first thing I would tell him to do is to be good at his task, to be good at his job. Like if you look at the tips for how to make more money, number one is always going to be get better at whatever your craft or occupation or form of employment is. If you can get better at it, you'll make more money. That's number one. Number two, let me preface this by saying I've got a ton of respect for AJ Ferrari. Him and I got a chance to spend some time together down in Miami this summer when I was down there for uh, the Olympic broadcast. And we both went to Richie Lewis's fight and we happened to be like seated right next to each other, right in the front <laughs> side, inside. So I'm like, damn, got to talk to him now. And so <laughs> we went to this, we, you go to, from this position where you're kind of like this awkward silence to like, for me, it, it's I'd rather say what's up to someone that I don't have a great relationship with than to avoid them with this awkward silence. I know him and I didn't always see eye to eye, but I never honestly had a problem with him. One, he's a young man. Two, he's a phenomenal wrestler. Three, he's great for the sport. Um, and so I appreciate what he brings and the dynamic that he brings to the sport. And I just wanted to sit down and, and talk with him. And so after that event, I think we kind of buried the hatch. We talked on a lot of different events and we kind of settled our differences and we were uh, we were much, much better um, of a relationship afterwards. And so him and I, even after the conversation we had on Twitter a few days ago, as you can see, it was much more respectful mm-hmm. than the manner of which our first <laughs> kind of, you know, conversation went when we went on back and forth on Twitter about the presidency and all that nonsense. But, you know, he's a good kid. I think he brings a special dynamic to the sport and it's going to be fun to kind of see how he elevates it. Everyone has kind of a place in the sport. I just have like a very old school mentality because of, you know, what, how old I am, what I've experienced. And primarily I started thinking about this because I thought about the Olympic games so much, you know, for me, all these interviews, all of these media summits, all of these conversations talking about the Olympic games, what they mean for your legacy, how bad do you want to win? Who's your guy you're going to have to compete against and all of these things. And then, I talk so much. I hype up the event so much. I don't make the Olympic team. Don't go to the Olympic games. And it was unfortunate. Right. Then in the last three months, post Olympic trials, I didn't really reference my wrestling very much at all via social. I just kind of stayed quiet and tell anyone how hard I was training, what I was doing, how bad I wanted to be a world champion, how I was going to be the best at 79 kilos. I just stayed focused on what I was doing and I was a world champion. Right. So it's, it's not the dynamic of how, much you tell people or, or, or how hard you display your workmanship and what you're doing behind the scenes. Like if you're working, it's going to be revealed. Like sometimes the work can be ignored, but the results can't. So that's kind of my thought process when tweeting that it's like work in yeah. silence, let the results show. Now everyone wants to hear from me. So like I dwelled <laughs> in this obscurity for a long time. And all of a sudden I win another championship and now I'm relevant again. And people want to hear from me and I didn't have to say anything. All I had to do is just win again. So that's so. Can we talk about the nuance of that a little bit, Jordan? 
Because I, I, I think I 95% agree with you, but I think there is like, if, There's if a you and I were, well, yeah, if you and I were to sit down together, it, it's not post all the time and it's not not post at all, right? I think you're 100% right. You got to get good at your craft. Um, but also, if they don't do a little bit of the social media, they're going to be left without money on their table. And, you know, I think even in your early days, because when. Is that true? Stuff? If you if you do social media, you like I think the, the most some of the most marketable guys in our sport don't even really do social media like that. Like look at Austin DeSanto. Look at But how many NAI that, deals does he have? Well, we don't know. I don't know. He could I potentially seen, have I, I've seen zero. Well, so have, let, let me make this point. Let me make this point. Okay, I think I think I think I really think we agree. Okay, so there's there's doing too much. I agree. That's probably worst case scenario. And then there's not really doing anything. And then there's something like in the middle, which is generally what I, I actually think you do this, right? And I think you this year would be a bad example because you've already reached this place where everyone wants to know what you're doing. And actually, when you disappear for a little bit, they probably make them more curious because they're, hey, what's Jordan up to? How's everything going? And there's an element of curiosity. But in the beginning, they need to build. And so, uh, you know, and maybe you could even talk about this. I think in your early days, you didn't do a ton of social media, but you did enough. You did enough to engage the fans where they got more and more interested in you. And I think there's certain people we could point out that do, um, and I don't want to pick anyone, that don't do a great job. And that does hurt their marketability. And, you know, we're talking about marketability. Yes, you, you've won so much, which helps, but you are really good at social media. You really are. And, sure. you know, you've also leveraged that to get a bunch of gigantic deals, which has been... You know, uh, I, don't, I don't want to crap on my era, but me, Daniel, and Henry in 2008, if we were making Jordan Burroughs money, we probably would have just kept wrestling, right? We yeah. may never have left. So I guess if you were really to coach, let's say we got a 20, 21-year-old college kid who's, you know, AJ Ferrari is a great example. How would you coach him to use his social media to maximize his earning potential and not do too much? So you almost need a social media guru to give you that kind of perspective because yeah the difficulty now is like all these coaches kids are coming at them in this recruiting process like okay coach i want to come and i want to win but how much money can you help me make and coach is like what this yeah. is not my forte i don't even care about this like mark yeah. manning never helped me secure procure any deals like as an athlete he helped me to be the best wrestler possible give me the freedom to operate on my own outside of the wrestling forum and then just my charisma was able to kind of push me into the social media space that I actually enjoy. So like, I think we're in a kind of a shift where coaches are going to have to not only be a psychologist, a father, a technician and a CEO, but now they're going to also have to be kind of like brokers and agents for, yeah. you know, the generation of athletes. And I don't necessarily know if they love this. It was funny. I was talking to John when we were down in Miami for the Olympic broadcast, you know, John, he's got his Southern twang. He's like, NIL deal. He's like, he's, he's pissed, right? He's like, because it's such a different dynamic. So when he's recruiting guys, yeah. they're like, well, how much can I make here? How can you help me get these deals? And he's like, yeah, deal. You guys need to get a deal with Band-Aid. You're going to be getting your butt kicked your first year. <laughs> <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, it, it's funny to kind of see where these coaches' minds are set is because, you know, it's, it's just a really unique position that they're in. But and, and this may be apples to oranges, but think of the most popular wrestlers in our sport in history. If you had to pick three names, I'd pick John Smith, Dan Gable, Cale Sanderson. All three of those guys grew up in an era where there was no social media, but yet still, yeah. 
if you ask guys who the best wrestler is, like people saying John's the GOAT. Some people say Dan Gable's the GOAT. Nope. I don't know how many people can officially say that they've even watched a Dan Gable match, right? Like watched a full match in its entirety. And the one that they probably have watched is the one that he lost to Larry Owens, yeah. which is the one that's circulating the most on the internet. But he has such a strong value to the wrestling community because of the way in which he won. Everyone refers to the pace in which he wrestled and going to an entire Olympic Games without giving out a point, giving up a point. Right now, yeah. they're in a unique position because of everything that they've done in coaching. But a lot of guys haven't watched Dan. They haven't watched John. A lot of guys haven't even watched Kale in this era. But they their reputation precedes them because of all the success they had in the sport. They don't really have to talk much. They just get the job done. And that, that works. Sure. So I think there's a balance there. But still winning trumps all to me. Yeah. At least. I, so I, I don't think I disagree on that. So what about, okay, let's go back to another thing, kind of like yourself. Um, so I, I think this is something you have done exceptionally well on social media is that, you know, you provide an inspiring message to young athletes. You do, you do a good job with that. And like, you know, I think I actually took my daughter to a, a Simone Biles thing a couple weeks ago and it was just, it was a great message. Oh, the message. It was, yeah, it was really, the messaging was really good. It was really positive, hard work, be great, you know, believe in yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think that's something you've also done. Um, and again, you talk about, you do talk about how hard you work, which is great. And I think you should. Um, and then you provide this inspiring message. So if we take a lot of these athletes off social media, the guys that people look up to, are, are, the, are the younger athletes going to miss out on these inspiring messages? Is that I almost, like, I almost think that is the biggest part of, the biggest power of my platform is like the mental Mondays, right? Talking about the struggles that all athletes have and how to get over them. And like, I don't know how many athletes I've helped. And, you know, like on another, like Bitcoin, right? I think I want to bring Bitcoin to the masses. And I have, I've literally had people tell me my life has changed because I heard you talk about it. I started researching myself and boom, there we go. So like you with the platform you have, have been able to get a really positive message out to young athletes and changed a lot of lives. Yeah, bro. I mean, and that's, that's my goal for the way I utilize my social. Everyone's different. Yeah. I can't recommend a way in which you should navigate life. Everyone's going to have a different perspective, different interests, and in how they want to lay down and deliver the life that they live to the public. Um, so, that, and that's completely yeah. fine. But you know, from my estimation, I'm always thinking: How do I operate with integrity and honor? How do I deliver a noble message that the mass can digest and not feel any sort of envy or spite or jealousy? And then, you know, how can I walk with humility and operate with like transparency and both and be vulnerable on social so I can deliver this to people, something that they can connect with? I don't think you necessarily have to say, like, I'm the best. The guys that I followed on social, that are like, I'm the best. I'm going to win this tournament. This is going to be easy. I'm going to kick someone's butt. All my opponents know how good I am now. I'm like, all that stuff is unnecessary. It's I just think it's unnecessary. Personally, I'm like, listen. Less talking, more working, more wrestling. Yeah. Like just show me. Show me. And then afterwards be like, told you. But you know, I don't think it's necessary to be like, I think when I you know, you think back to what I did in 2012, right? The night before the Olympic mm-hmm. Games, where I was like, my next tweet is gonna be a picture of me holding gold medal. Yeah. That was I would never do that again. Let's just say <laughs> that. Number one. Number two, I think you 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 bring on numerous people that follow your journey who aren't necessarily interested in the victory, right? They either want to see you get beat. So you bring on a horde of enemies or 
you know, you bring on people who are like, man, I don't really like the way this guy operates. He's arrogant. He's cocky. And so if you are okay with having the perspective on you and people's thoughts of you be negative, then that's completely fine. I don't think that that's a bad thing, right? I think as long as you're living true to yourself and being, you know, unapologetically you, then that's completely fine. But that's just kind of my vibe. That's how I want to operate. Yeah. Via social, so it's different. So I think I joined Twitter in. Sorry, Christian. I'm <laughs> I got so many questions. This is going great. Uh, so say, I think I joined Twitter in 2010, which is significantly after my college career. Um, yeah. And obviously yours began in 2007. Also, I don't know when you joined Twitter because that was, you know, Facebook was around, but I didn't really use Facebook. All that uh, much. 2011, so, Twitter. Okay. So given, given that you had that earlier, um, because right, we're talking about these high school and college age kids. And mm-hmm. I know I would have said some real dumb shit. I know, right? If okay. I had it in college. And so I, th- I think, thank well, God. Yeah, that, paid, uh, you paid for it. That's the thing. Like, if you were going to say crazy stuff, it was authentically yeah. you because sure, that's just sure. who you were. But I feel like yeah. now people are like being someone completely different because of what they see from their favorite celebrities. Like at that point when we got Twitter, yeah. like you, we weren't really following you know, athletes and saying, oh, this guy said this. I want to do this. I need to post this picture in front of my car with a chain on, with a bottle in the club. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? On the beach with this. Like, so it was, it was just different at that time. Now I feel like everything's like a real, like a show. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just not really about the show. Like I, I'd rather be authentic to, to who yeah. I am. So I don't really have to kind of like ebb and flow and be a chameleon in different settings. I'm like, this is who I am. This is what I represent. And this is how I post. But I think when we first got it, like I was, I was, and I had no following, right? Like my, I was posting, when I posted before the Olympics, I had like 5,000 followers. And I'm like, my next tweet is going to be me winning the Olympics. I had like literally like five to 10,000 followers. So my following was extremely small. I had an even smaller following on IG um, because that was before, you know, that even blew up. And yep. I think, you know, we're just, we're in a, we're in a different space. We're in a different space. I'm trying to show respect yeah. for this new generation because they grew up in the social media era. When I was their age, all I had was MySpace and, and Facebook. So it, no one was really checking for what we were doing. I was, you know, posting statuses about what I had eaten for lunch. That was pretty much it. So it's, it's just a different time. All right, let me go one one more direction. Christian, I promise I, I'll let you in here. Uh, let me get one more question. So given something like WWE, right? Um, and Christian hates WWE, so I'm not even going to get him started on that. But given the WWE, we know, we know for for fact, these, these people are playing very specific characters, right? That, that's what they're doing for sure. And what they're trying to do is engender some type of response, either positive or negative, from the audience um and then most more people tune in they make more money everyone everyone's happy so given given the fact that we know that the public is relatively gullible right i mean one of my favorite things to do jordan you can use a tactic if you want i put out tweets that are specifically ambiguous just so i can watch people argue both sides of what i meant you know they'll be like no we meant this no we meant this and i like do it purposefully um yeah you, so given you definitely the- like stir the pot your pot stir <laughs> given the fact <laughs> given the fact that you can you know uh, not everyone can be the good guy you're the good guy you don't ever have to you don't ever have to play the bad guy because you play the good guy and you play it really 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 well but given the fact that not everyone can play the good guy and some people will play the bad guy and if some people play the bad guy really well it will 
bring people there to watch them lose. Yeah. And if we can bring bigger numbers to wrestling, right? That's we I, I really don't like the term good for the sport, but we'll say that would be good for the sport to engender emotion out of fans to get them to then tune in. Um don't you think you can a little bit dissociate yourself from the personality you're playing on social media? Because that's how I view it. Like who's, lots of times I am myself, but who's the bad who's guy? That? Ferrari plays. Who's like no, like of of the senior level athletes, do we does that exist? Can you be that at the senior level? So, do people care? So, yeah, fortunately, at the, at the senior level, it's, it's the Russians are mostly the bad guys, which is great. Um, by default, but within, <laughs> not even by choice. Yeah. But I don't, I don't I, think, I, I don't think consider Sajulayev a bad guy. Like he's super no, he's gracious, a one lovable Russian, super lovable, bro. Like everyone yeah. loves him. There's not a bad word well, said about I'll him. I'll tell you <laughs> Go ahead. What you the got? worst, the worst Russian was that. Uh, oh, what the hell was you? I really he beat me, pulled my hair out, and Sargush most of the time. Oh, he's the worst Russian ever. Okay, Sargush was. Yeah, he was a he was a villain he's a, for sure. He's a villain, and if, I think a villain in real life probably too. Um, but okay, so given at the college level, like Gable is actually was a little bit of a villain to a lot of people. Um, Ferrari is absolutely a villain, and then. Given the rivalries, certain people become like certain people want to see Spencer Lee lose just because they don't like Iowa, right? I mean, yeah. this this absolutely happens. So if you can play up that character, and you know, you you this is like this is a Spencer Lee. Spencer Lee realizes this is a character he's playing, and and I'll, I'll tell you where this came from from me, and then maybe you, you will even understand me better. Um, and it can help him make money. I don't really see that as a bad thing. And so here here's where this came from for me, Jordan. When I was 15 years old. They told me there was this thing called the wrestling forum and people were talking about me. I said, okay, what's that? And I went on there and all these freaking adults were telling me it was the week before state. And they said, this dude's going to, this senior dude's going to whoop Ben Askren. Ben Askren sucks, blah, 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 blah. And I went on, I said, listen, I'm going to whoop this dude next week. Ain't no problem about it. You made a and username. Every- I made a username. <laughs> yes. And I went, I went, I went and whooped the dude. No problem. But all these adults got so mad, and the form afterwards went nuts. And and I thought, the 50-year-old guy said, holy moly, all these adults are judging me based on a few paragraphs I put on um, a wrestling forum. They don't know me. They don't see how hard I work. They don't know anything about me. And they're making these stupid assumptions about who I am and what I stand for. So then the next two years of my high school career, I literally, I was like, hey, what can I do to piss these people off as much as possible? And I would just like do something, and then I would watch the reaction. And then I would do something and I would watch the reaction, you know? And I and I think like all these people there, it's this mass that's coming to this conclusion about me without ever knowing. And I realized how how easy at that, you know, at a young age, I realized how easy it was to manipulate the public essentially, right? And so that's what it's like, you know, Spencer Lee could probably, and he, he won't because that's not who he is, but he could probably play up his character. Ferrari, I don't know him for sure. I don't know him. So I can't say for sure. I think a little bit, maybe he's, playing up his character and it's making him i don't know flo could tell us for sure but he's probably one of the top three college uh people to watch right yeah Yeah, he's he's amazing bro like he's he's a phenomenal athlete he can wrestle he can shoot he can scramble he's he's a great wrestler he's gonna win a couple more national titles um and then he's gonna compete at a high level post collegiately but i i honestly i think that's just who he is bro like on his recruiting trips on you know when he was in high school i think that's just how he operates 
um, and how he sees life. So I don't think, you know, what he says is he's, he might be playing it up a little bit just for the recognition that it, it garnered for him via social, but um, he's just doing his thing. He's just himself. What, so do you think you were a heel? Do you, were you a heel in college? Were you a villain? Well, no, it was funny. So this is what I think is really funny because in, in high school, I was the heel because I would do these things. I would literally purposely do these stu- really stupid things like take a stuffed animal to determine just to see how the reaction or pick my hair out, right? Whatever it was. People really hated when I picked my hair out. Um, and then in college, because, because I, specifically, I think because I went to Missouri and they were the underdog, I got cheered for. I think if I would have went to Iowa or I would have went to Oklahoma State, I think the reaction to me would have been 100% different. Like it would have been completely flipped. Um, and so, you know, that's the other funny thing is just context, right? Con- the context of the situation was that I was the underdog because I went to Missouri. And then, you know, I was this different guy and everyone loved me because I was the first national champ from there. But had I been Iowa, I think the reaction would have been different to me. So I, I guess, um, well, I, I guess kind of to wrap this up and maybe ask a question of you also is like, if some of these guys, some of these guys, can increase their marketability. They can make a whole bunch of money off the public's gullibility. Um, should they play up their characters a little bit? Are you? Are you? Are you? You're totally out on that. You think nah, not not at all. It's not for me. It's not. It's I, not I understand it's not for you, but what about for? I understand it's not. I, I understand it's not you, but what about for some other people? What would your recommendation be? My recommendation would be like, let's sit down and have a strategic approach to the way we deliver our persona on social media. But I don't think you have to be a villain to do that. Like, yes, there are ways in which you can garner attention in conjunction with being successful, right? So winning first, telling people yeah. about it second. You can do the both of those simultaneously because there are plenty of athletes who are really good at what they do that no one knows. There are plenty of athletes who aren't very good. Everyone knows just because the way that they market themselves. But for guys on my team, I don't want any unnecessary hate spewed his way. I think if you look at the dynamic of where we are as a sport, the guys in mm-hmm. college that win the most, naturally you'll start to garner some attention and mm-hmm. a little jealousy, right? And intrigue. People are like, man, I yeah. want to see this guy. Compete. Not necessarily because you're a bad guy, because you win all the time. But also there's a shift where the guys that are winning all the time, are they have character. They have integrity. So people don't want to see them win. You know, or one, don't want to see them lose, excuse me. So if you look at guys yeah. that are really successful, Spencer Lee, Yanni, um, you know, guys of recent, Jason Nolf, Zane Rutherford, like those guys are guys that are people love. They're fun loving. Even a guy like yeah. Nick Suriano, like as polarizing as Nick Suriano is, like, <laughs> I think the overwhelming majority of people like Nick. You know, he's a very likable yeah. character. One, like there's really only one true villain in the sport, and it's probably Pat Downey. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone, else, yeah. everyone else is kind of just like, I don't know if it's necessarily like a role, but I think that even that's something that Pat embraces. He's like, this is who I am. And he enjoys what he says and the recognition that it returns to. So he just kind of. Yeah. He, awesome. well, let, me, let me ask you specifically about Gable. I, th- I think Gable is a very interesting case because I don't know him, but from all reports, he just. Great dude, really hardworking guy. Um, all of the good things that you you would want in an athlete um, is from what I gather. And he's made so you know heels the bad guy, faces the good guy. He's made a little bit of a face turn with the Olympic title this year. Yeah. So, but I think previously people kind of held something against him because he was this prodigy, 
He was a little bit outspoken. And that definitely engendered some jealousy, hate. I don't, I don't know what specific word you want to use. So you're gay. Let's say Jordan Burroughs is Gable Media's social media advisor. Do you, and I, I think him playing into it, and I, I would guess he probably got some advice from Brock Lesnar or WWE because that you know, was the path he kind of envisioned himself going. Would you have advised him to keep playing it up or would you advise him to just kind of leave it alone? Well, what do you mean play it up? Like what was, what was he playing? Like what, what, so Gable, what persona? Yeah, so what I would say was, uh, this, is, okay, this is outside looking in. What I would say is, he kind of played into the fact that a lot of people were jealous of the success he was having, um, that he was young, he was great, no one could beat him. Um, I think he, I feel as though he played into that. And I think the wrestling community was very split, uh, probably before the summer, was very split on Gable, whether they, they wanted him to see him win or they wanted to see him lose. That, that's kind of ge- the general sentiment I would feel for the wrestling community. Um, and I think Gable, I think Gable played into it perfectly from a social media perspective i think it was, he freaking nailed it um so do you, i mean i guess did you follow him on social media or no i do i do i follow gable closely okay. um i like gable uh, i think he's a good kid we spend a lot of time together you know he's he's someone that i also respect and admire gable i think a lot of his the the negativity that he felt from the fans perspective was probably predicated on the fact that he got into some legal battles early on in his career, right? So remember the trouble that he had kind of turned people sour on him. And then the fact that he was able to come back and navigate that pathway back to his role to a national championship and then Olympic gold, I think people were like, man, see, this is what happens when you're really good at something. You're larger than life and you're above the law. Isn't this guy supposed to be in trouble? So I think that that position that he kind of put himself in where he was able to kind of beat the charges and get back to a space in which he was operating at a high level um, that kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, so I think, I don't yeah. ever, I don't think he was like a heel, but you know, maybe the way that he wrestled, he kind of pushes people around, right? Snaps them hard, runs them out of bounds, showboats a little bit, runs back to the locker room yeah. after his matches are finished. So I think that's more showmanship than, than pure heel. It's, it's fun. It's a, it's a level yeah. of entertainment. Like when AJ Ferrari is flexing, in his interviews, I'm never like, this guy's an idiot. I'm like, damn, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's only a little bit get, of an idiot. Because <laughs> you get it, right? Like, you, you, you totally get it. Like, how many times have you been feeling yourself and you're like, man, this will be fun. Or I should do this. I should showboat. I should talk a little trash. Um, I think this, <laughs> the sport is funner because of it. Because that's what we all grew up in. When you beat someone in the wrestling room, first thing you do, you look over at your coach. Right, you showboat a little bit. You're playing video games. You're out in the streets playing basketball. Like whatever you're doing, if you're competitive, you're talking trash. So, I think we're one mm-hmm. of the few sports. That, I was writing something about this the other day. We never talk to our opponent. It's the weirdest sport in the world. We never talk to our opponent. So I wrestled four matches at the World Championships. I didn't say a single word to anyone that I wrestled that day. So this entire two days, you weigh in together. You stand in line, complete silence. Right, you go through the weigh-ins. Mm-hmm. You're warming up. You're in the tunnel together right before you walk out mat side. You come out, complete silence, shake hands, wrestle for six minutes or longer, shake hands again, walk off. And that's the last you see of that guy. And it's, it's, it's a really wild thing. But if you go and you mic up guys on the football field in the NFL, or you mic up guys down on the court in the NBA, there's such an enormous amount of trash talk that's happening down there. It's, it's wildly entertainment. Why do you think mic'd up 
is so much fun to watch when you get to a chance to kind of hear the dynamic of what people are saying to each other. Imagine if we had that. I, I think it would be really cool. I think it would shift the game because people are going to do it in a respectful manner. But I, I think it would also add an extra element to the sport. I think it'd be cool. I mean, me and you talked a little bit of trash together. Before yeah, we I was trying to get you. Let me have a takedown. That was that was really not not cool. Of you. <laughs> let me have I maybe so reversal something. Because I thought I was gonna win. I talked so much trash because I was like, man, I'm about to roll this dude up. <laughs> because I came to Lincoln for three days and you knew what was hey, going to happen. I don't, talk trash. I don't talk a whole lot of trash if I know that I'm in trouble or if I know that someone's going to give me a really tough match. So I was kind of rolling. So I'm like, let's go. I'm about to dust this dude up. I'm just messing with you, Ben. Oh, man. You're great. You're great. I love you, bro. That was still mm-hmm. a sick match. Uh, that was a cool, very cool <laughs> event, um, even though it didn't go, go quite well for Ben. Back. Let's let's lobby to get beat the streets back this year, 2022, spring, summer 22. Let's let's get beat the streets back. Me, B, B Askren versus J Burrows, round two. Yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> give me, give me, listen, you give me a few advantages. This time, this time, this time no way ins, no way ins. You can weigh whatever you want. That, that was shenanigans, JB. Listen, I coached at Freestyle <laughs> State. I coached. Hey, when, you came, when you came to wear the sauna suit, I'm like, this dude is cooked. He's got no chance. <laughs> I wasn't going to wait. Why did you make, listen, okay, hold on. On the scale. I was like, what is this guy doing, bro? What do you, what do you okay. weigh? Like, what do you typically weigh? I, was, I weighed 185. So, listen, I came to Lincoln for three days to just work out with you because I, I wanted to see what, what, you, what you had, you know, because I love wrestling and I like wrestling people. That's why I took the match. After we worked out those three days together, I was like, all right, I want to wrestle there. We, we're in. No, I, yeah. And then, so you already knew what was going to happen. You knew the outcome because we had worked out for three days. And I knew the outcome, too. You out a few times. You choked me out a couple of times. That's why I only shot, if you watch that match, I only shot when I knew that I could get to a deep double leg and score. I didn't shoot any singles, no high Cs. That's no what you, that, so that was, in the, you shouldn't have shot doubles. That wasn't fair. Yeah, because you were going to try to embarrass me, right? You're going to try to wait till I got underneath of you and then try to choke me. That's, that's I just exactly want to score a couple points. That's it. Just a couple points. <laughs> I would have let you push me out. That's it. One point. Hey, is that bookshelf tied to the wall? Yeah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Okay, you're good. All right, cool. Um, no, listen to this. You know what you made me do? I coached Freestyle State. I coached Freestyle State till 5 p.m. I drove home an hour and a half at 6.30 p.m. I cut weight that night after coaching Freestyle State. I woke up at 6 a.m. I flew to New York, and then I had to cut the rest away. Could you make me make 170, I don't know, three pounds or somewhere in that effect? That was kind of rude. But you made a lot of money. For a very short period of time, <laughs> all you had to do is get yeah. double eight a few times, and, and we, we, we sold out that place. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Let's let's do it again, man. I'm Same in. Time. Why in the hell would I wrestle you again? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Jordan will wrestle. Jordan will wrestle Beacon, or I mean, Ben will wrestle Beacon. That's you, you got some. You got some I want someone in the middle. Beacon just started wrestling, and he's Beacon's going to be a pretty good wrestler, Ben. I, I want you to – I want – sometime we're going to come out to AWA. You got some seven-year-olds. Beacon's seven. He weighs 45 uh, pounds. My daughter's eight, and she's probably low 50s. Low 50s? That's too big. <laughs> get her down to 45, Ben. Uh, I'll make your daughter cut the same way I made you cut. She's got to get down to 45 uh, pounds. 
we don't we don't we don't do we don't do the weight cutting at a young age so uh we're oh. gonna stay about yeah no we got uh i was telling i was telling christian we got a five-year-old five-year-old's only class for your five-year-old it's a disaster they don't listen at all it's really terrible we got a six seven-year-old yeah. class we got an eight nine-year-old class we got all the classes that's what's up man that's what's up that's mm-hmm. cool. so wanna uh kind of circle back to the, to the world championships and that whole saga that, that you had, Jordan, we, winning the title, but everything that went into that behind the scenes after your injury to, against Daringer when you won that match. G- give us a little peek of what those, those couple weeks, not even three weeks, were like between that event in Lincoln and then Worlds. Did you know? Did you guys know that I was hurt? Yeah. We guessed. Um, yeah, it was – Rizzy, no, no, poo. Um, it was, it was a, uh, it was crazy, bro. Like it was, it was such a crazy time because, you know, here I am, but on the brink of making this team, I'm feeling really good about myself. The way I navigated the tournament, I'm like, yes, this is great. I'm about to make another team. I'm gonna feel good going to the World Championships. And then that last fifty, thank God I was up 4-0. I was able to kind of just play the game and keep them off of my legs and just give up a few, few pushouts. But immediately, yeah, I had. Uh, Mark Manning and Tyler Weeder, they kind of carried me back into the training room. So our orthopedic surgeon that works with the university is a guy named Dr. Dave Clare. He was there in the arena watching. So we call him down. He comes down to the training room. He's kind of checking out my calf. He's like, man, I can't really tell what's going on here, but I could just tell by the way I felt that it wasn't good. So anyway, one of the craziest things is I leave the arena. I crutch out of the arena. We're staying right down the rail yard. I go to my hotel room. I'm hungry. Everyone's out celebrating. I'm still stuck in the room sulking so i'm like damn i'm hungry i'm gonna crutch down to the sushi place hero 88 right next to the arena so i crutch down the first people i see is all the whole crew from oklahoma state right so the fixes alex ringer Dar- daringer's there with his fiance and i'm like Shit. and so they didn't see me but you know afterwards ringer texted me like hey bro how you feeling like what's going on um because i'm sure he had heard and he had told me kind of hobble off the mat i'm like listen i don't know but just stay ready you know just make sure that you're on point Dang. keep training next couple weeks and keep your weight good um which i feel bad because the second guy i did this too remember in 2013 kyle dake did the same thing 2021 the ringer did the same thing so he was prepped he was ready to wrestle if necessary um so i stuck around in lincoln for that following week i stayed there with tyler Wita, with the orthopedic surgeon was able to get a shot was able to do a ton of rehab we kind of hit the ground running so first couple days i could hardly walk we were doing just basically on the bike in the pool um, relatively low-key things, and we started doing some stanchion motion in the sand. Then we got to a place where we were doing just some hops and jumps and, and some lateral movements in the sand. That first week, at the end of that first week, Lauren got a scare. She got a call from the midwife and was like, listen, you're six centimeters dilated. I think you could have this baby tonight. Or they, she was at the, the at the doctor's office, and they were like, hey, you're six centimeters dilated, and you could have this baby tonight. So JB, you need to get back immediately. So I'm planning on staying there for, I was, I was thinking about staying there all the way until like the world championships. I was going to stay in Lincoln and then leave straight from Lincoln to the worlds. So I wasn't going to see the family for like almost four weeks. And so she gets to scare. I hustle home. I get here. Nothing, no baby. Right. So now me and Lauren are like this because I'm like, you told me to come home because the baby is coming. She's like, well, I didn't freaking know that the baby wasn't coming. I just wanted you to be here for me. And so like, we're kind of at odds with one another because I'm like, love, I really want to win the sixth gold medal. This is really important to me. I feel great. I know I can win. And she's like, I need you here for me. This is our fourth baby. We're in a new city. We're in an unfamiliar place. I don't want to do this alone. 
And so one of the craziest parts about it is we, uh, so the team left on the 25th, which is the day the baby was born. So had I not gotten hurt, I would have went up to Hoboken for the training camp and then I would have flown over to Oslo with the team. So when Lauren was giving birth on the evening of the 25th, I would have been literally in midair somewhere halfway over the Atlantic ocean on the way to Oslo with the squad. But instead I stuck around for a couple extra days so I could do some extra rehab here. And I, fortunately the baby just came early. So I had kind of given up. I was like, man, the baby's not going to come. And then all of a sudden the 25th, she's like, man, I think I'm ready. So we went to the hospital an hour later, the baby was there. So it was, it was a pretty wild time. Um, when I got back here, I was a little nervous because I didn't think that the training staff here at Penn was going to really even give me the time of day. They don't know me. Like they hear I'm an Olympic and world champ, but they don't know the meaning <laughs> of what I'm trying to accomplish right now at this point. So it was cool. When I got there, they were they brought me in the fold and they treated me like I was one of their own and really helped me. But yeah, there were a lot of days where I don't believe, man. Like it's easy to see it in hindsight and be like, damn, this dude's tough. He's disciplined. He's dialed in. He's always focused. He never wavers in his faith. Like there were a couple of days I'm like, man, I ain't going to be able to wrestle. I can't even walk. I'm going to beat these guys. I can't shoot. I can't jump. I can't run. I'm a, I have nothing. I can't beat these dudes. Um, but like slowly each day, just like having faith, being prayerful, um, being encouraged by the team. Everyone just put me on the right page. So Tyler Wieda, um, here, Dr. Shaker at the Penn Medicine, obviously Brandon Slay, my family, um, they were all super encouraging. So we kind of like had it dialed in just like every day was something different, some new approach to make sure that I was feeling healthy. So I didn't, I wrestled live for the first time, like the, maybe like the 28th, right before I left. Um, the great thing was because I wasn't cutting any weight, like it was, it was easy for me to, to kind of make it. Like I was, I was only like two, three pounds over. I was floating around like 177. Um, even when I wasn't training. So it was a good thing. So even during the the event, you know, there was that moment in the semis, 18 seconds in, where I think there was a collective gulp among USA wrestling fans. When you had, you called for time, you walked, you no, kind of said that. This. Cold spray does not work. Cold spray is, it's, it's worthless. It does nothing. It does absolutely nothing, dog. It's, you might as well spray hairspray on your freaking leg. It does nothing. I, I was like, it wasn't even cold. It wasn't even cold. Like I was like, this is I've been waiting all these years. Let me see what they were like, you want cold spray? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me some cold spray. <laughs> and they hit me with the cold spray and it did nothing. I was like, bro, all these years I've watched these foreign athletes use this stuff. This is definitely a long time out. This does nothing for you. What was going on with the with your calf then? Or was it your calf? I'm assuming it was. It what was like, what were you feeling? Yeah, I felt just like a shockwave of pain. The way I kind of stepped back quickly, like if you go back and watch the clip, like I kind of stepped back into that hyperextended position. Really, it was only because it was my gastroc, it only really flared up when I had a fully extended leg. Anything from a bent knee didn't really hurt me much at all. So the hardest part was driving up through my doubles, um, getting to a single leg and standing up. That's why I didn't really shoot any singles throughout the whole week is getting to a single leg running backside and really standing up to my feet with a single was, was difficult. So I was just trying to shoot doubles, hit guys clean and run them down. So how many, uh, was it, was that the only flare up you had like that during, throughout the world championships, like during your matches? Yes, that was the only one we, uh, we had it dialed in pretty good because like before they were like, listen, we could give you 
some level of like cortisone, we can give you some Toradol, we can give you any of these medicines that'll that'll kind of knock out whatever you're feeling. But I was like, well, let me let me feel it first. Let me rock out here for a couple of days. Hi, baby. Oh, cool. I love that. And uh, so when we got there, I was I was feeling pretty good, and you know I was drilling with Mark, and then Mark was feeling big, so I'm like. Let me let me drill with J.O. for a couple of days. So I started drilling with Jordan for the last couple of days, and that kind of gave me a lot of confidence. I felt good about it. Yeah. So you're you're up at 79 kilograms now. You looked um, really fantastic, even at trials and at Worlds, despite the injury. Looks really good. How much you're still talking about going down afterwards? Is will you consider going up? I have a master plan. You know, oh. I haven't let you in on it, but it involves you going up to 86. Not shrinking your body and depriving yourself of all that delicious food, but going up and going out big and strong. Mike Mal hit me up the other day. He was like, go 86. And I was like, I'm not, I've never even considered going 86. And he's like, why? He was like, you, he's like, you beat me, David. You tied him last year at 86 and, and you were undersized. And then oh, most Iranians are afraid of you, you know? And so he's like, this is perfect. But I, I don't feel like 86 is my best weight. I think my best wrestling is still at 74. I don't, I don't, I'm not big, like in stature. You stand, I'm not a big guy, right? So even at 79, 79 is a natural weight for me. Like I'm literally walking into practice at 78 and leaving at 74. So this has been a really easy transition because this is the most natural weight. If the Olympics had a 79 kilogram weight class, that would be phenomenal. I think that's where we need to kind of vouch for adding an additional weight. If you look at the average man around the world, they're somewhere between 5'6 and 5'10, and they weigh somewhere between 160 pounds and 180 pounds. But yet we only have one weight class that covers that entire you know, gauntlet um, and, and really the, the bulk of the worldwide stature of men. So I think 79 kilos is a weight class that we need to kind of advocate for adding a, a, an additional weight. But, I mean, at this point – I'm in the finals of final X, right? So let's say I rattle off two more straight. Then we have a dilemma. I could go 86 and I'd be in the semifinals of the trials, but there's some hammers there and they're bigger than me. And I only have a year to grow from 79 to 86. I only have a year to get from 174 all the way up to 190 pounds in terms of size. It's a 15 pound gap and on a 36 year old frame. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, so it's like you can't just start adding all these like my knees, my joints, my shoulders. I, I just don't know if I can carry all that extra weight and muscle and still compete at a high level. It's too quick of a turnaround. Or I can spend a year losing only 10 pounds, which I've done countless amount of times. So and I, I still be in the semifinals at 74. So I'm you know, this is I say this respectfully to to the landscape. 86 is a lot deeper with, with young talent then 74 will be, you know, if we're, if we're looking at who's coming out of college at 74, I think there are a lot fewer guys that, you know, are on our radar than guys at 86. So I think 86 would be cool because I'd be able to eat, but, you know, I think I get out there and fill that first, you know, club double leg from one of those guys that are been a true 86 for an entire quad. And that might change my mind a little bit. I know at 74, I'm not going to get outpowered or outworked. You know, I might not have the same output or the same level of effort, but you know, it's it's been a it was it was a tough year this year, man. I, I told I was telling Lauren I had a losing record at one point this year. 
Um, you know, because I wrestled in January, lost to David. And then I went out to Mateo Pelicone. I won my first two preliminary matches. Then I lost to Chimiso in the finals. And I went back-to-back losses to Kyle Dake. So I was two and four headed into the trials <laughs> this year. So it was it was a rough point for me where I started to have to reevaluate like what I was doing. Like, damn, am I what's going on here? Um, but, you know, just continue working. Never wavered in my faith. Just continue to believe that I was I could compete at a high level. And like I know, I know what I can do. Like anyone who's wrestling me knows that I can still compete at a high level. I don't think anyone in Kyle Dake, David Taylor, Chimiso, any of those guys are like JB's old, he's lost it. I think they still know that I'm a formidable opponent. Might not be as sharp or as difficult or, or just really even as scary as I once was, but I can still freaking wrestle really hard at a high level. After after you won Worlds in the mix zone, um, it was one of the few times, maybe one of the only times after victory where I've seen you get super emotional. You're talking about Lauren and just kind of the whole saga. What yeah. was it about this title? You've won so many. You've accomplished so much. What was it about that moment that kind of uh, evoked that kind of response from you? Yeah, it was it was hard. It was really hard from a mental perspective. We had so much going on from, you know, losing at the trials to people calling me washed to moving across the country, having another baby, going through the injury. But there was so much that I had to deal with just emotionally. I had to really dial in and focus unlike I really ever had to do in the past. Um, in conjunction with, you know, the fact that it's taken me four years to get back to a world championship. Like when I won in 17, people were like, all right, he's going to rattle off a few more. And then all of a sudden, here comes Sidikov. I lose freaking razor thin in 18, razor thin in 19. Don't make the team in 20. You know, so there were just so many where I'm like, I'm never going to catch John. Like there were a time where I was like, I might never catch him. And the fact that I was potentially going to end my career with five, only being one away, would have haunted me for the remainder of my existence. Like literally for the rest of my life, I would have lived with regret and sadness that I was so close and I could never do it. And I was like telling Lauren after Worlds, she was like, you did it. Like you got six. I'm like, I should have eight or nine by now. And she's like, shut up. You got six. This is what you wanted. This is everything that you've experienced has made you who you are. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, what I realized is that at this point, now I can move forward and everything else additionally after this is just going to be extra. But honestly, like, there's so many guys coming up behind me that I don't think John's record's going to last long. If I don't, if I don't pass it, someone's going to pass it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, you got – it's crazy. I was thinking about this. When, when Kyle won his third title in 2017, Kyle Dake hadn't even made a team. Yeah. And now we're both at three titles. And so it's wild how, like, the ebb and flow of the sport where you're like, okay, this guy is phenomenal. He's going to go off and rattle off a bunch of three. He's going to break the record. Now, you know, you get into this difficult place where Sajulayev is to Kyle what Sidikov is to me. Or what I was to Sargouche, right? You go from this place where you're rolling, you're rattling them off, all of a sudden this guy comes and now he's rattling them off. Now Sidikov's got three. Dake's got three. You know, David's got two. And so all these guys that hadn't even won before – are now putting themselves in a position where they're going to be the great. So I think we went through this era where it took a really long time for guys to win one, and then two was impressive. Now they're three, four, five. So I think all of these guys are going to kind of surpass what the future looks like. And then you got Adeline on the other side, Helen Lewis, that are winning 
you know, a lot of titles as well. So it's, it's crazy, bro. I mean, I'm just happy to be front of the pack um, and continue to separate myself because I know that the title won't last long. I just want to be first. If someone goes on and does it be beyond me in the future, that's out of my control, but I just want to get to seven first. That's going to be important to me. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do that. We'll see. Heck yeah. So, um, one really appreciate your time. It's, this has been awesome, but uh, I had a couple more questions and, and I was rewatching your match with the Russian Valiev. And yeah. first of all, they gave the most preposterous two maybe ever awarded in, in wrestling history. It was, it was close. It was close. I, I got to admit it was, it was close, but I don't think I, I don't think it was exposure. They so weren't they even looking exposure. For, they weren't even looking for that though. That's the thing. No. They were looking for the push out. And then all of a sudden the referees were looking back at the exposure like, Oh, we missed something. So it's like, remember at a point where you had to specify what you were looking for when you went to the challenge, yeah. and now you just you just throw the challenge and be like, find something, <laughs> find something for me. Hopefully, there was at the time I scored in that sequence. My question is is about the the second period, and that second period looked like so many second periods you've had where you might be losing or it might be close, and then you you you, you blow the guys away late. And I want to get your perspective. How much of it is your pace. How much is it you're kind of figuring the guy out? How much is it just your legend and people just feeling they're like, I know what's coming. I know this is Jordan Burroughs and they just succumb. What? How do you um, compartmentalize what's happening? Yeah, um, I don't think the Russian was afraid at all. I think he was he was prepared and he, he thought he could win. He just got tired. You know, the bottom line is he, he just started to fatigue after a lot of heavy clubs, a lot of heavy fakes. Um, sequences where he get the momentum and then I come back and shoot and run him out of bounds really quickly. So I think that just all the action and the flurries, he just kind of took a few mental breaks and I blew it open. Um, so, you know, part of it is I trained really hard, like leading up to this event. Like I wanted to really be in good shape and I was able to outlast my opponents. Like if you look at all of my matches late in the matches from the trials, all the way through the world championships, like I was still moving my shots were still crisp. I was still able to take hard quality shots with good discipline and good focus, get up to my feet and run through my double legs um, on at six minutes as I was as hard as I was in the first minute. So that like that was just my focus is hard quality attacks throughout the entirety of the match. And, you know, Mark Hall was really helpful for me. So wrestling Mark, literally, I, I say this all the time and, you know, it might be getting a little old, but wrestling Mark every week pretty much every day for two months straight leading up to the trials and the worlds. I wasn't afraid of anyone. Like if I can, if I can take Mark down and I lost a lot, Mark beat me like three times in simulation matches and I don't lose much um, at practice. You know, I can name uh, uh, just, you know, I've lost less than 10 times in the last 11 years of match and practice, no matter how I was feeling, how tired I was, how bad my weight cut was or where I was training. I rarely lose in practice and Mark beat me a couple of times. Um, and so, but I make him wrestle me again. There was one day he, he beat me up. He beat me like eight to two. I was like, we're going again. And so he just like shifted the whole order. He's like, it's, it's, he's got a partner next round. I'm like, no, you don't. You're going with me again. All right. So that's one of the great things about being the, the best guy in the room. You just tell people like, you're no, we're wrestling. You're not going with anyone else. We're going. Um, but you know, Mark was really helpful. So, you know, just his pace, his technique, his footwork, his uh, his his scrambling ability, his strength and size. 
uh, really helped me. So I knew like if I can push myself against Mark, who weighs 190 pounds, I can push myself against this Russian that weighs 175 pounds. Like, there's no way this guy is as strong, as tough, or um, or knows me as well. I've wrestled Mark every day. So he knew my tendencies, knew every shot, every approach, every technique. Um, and these guys wrestled me for the first time. Only one guy in my entire career has ever beaten me the first time we wrestled, and that was Sidikov. It's the only person yeah. in 11 years that has beaten me on the first time that we competed against one another. Um, and so, you know, I always favor myself when I'm competing because I, I know I have a unique style and unique power that's going to be able to get up and through guys. Awesome. Well, it was uh, it was incredible to watch you back on top and the the entire performance you had. Um, how special was it, you know, Coach Slay in your corner, but Manning handing you the flag in that moment? I thought that was an awesome touch. Yeah, yeah, it was it was dope, bro. I I thought it was cool because they got a chance to one that Manning even came out um, because he's got a lot of stuff going on at home. You know, clearly he's he's engaged with what the college program is doing in their preseason, but he was able to come out. And, not only helped me, but helped James. And every time I would go to and from the warm-up area, he was giving me pointers and tips. And we spent a lot of time together that week, which I really appreciated. Um, it was special, bro. We started this journey together. So the fact that he was able to give me my flag for my first title all the way to my sixth title, I think that that was kind of – it was a culmination. It was like almost the closing of that chapter of our history together. Um, and now I can kind of move on with complete confidence that Manning and I completed what we set out to do um, together all those years ago. So it was great. Slay's a great coach, great leader. Um, Bill's been in my corner for a long period of time. So like each of those guys that was there that I gave a hug on that stage after the world championship has had like a particularly cool influence in my wrestling career. And I've spent a lot of time with each of them. Uh, so it's cool, bro. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. It was very satisfying. I remember going home that night and just like, ah, you kind of do one of these like where you, you just feel good. Like it, if nothing else, there's just a level of satisfaction that you feel like I, I did it. I stayed the course and I made it happen. Um, and, and nothing else really even mattered. Like I put my belt in my backpack. I threw my medal in my suitcase and I just went home with my head higher and my chest poked out a little further, but that was it. I just proved to myself that I could do it. And, and that's all I, that's all I compete for. Have you spoken with, with uh, John Smith since you won? No, I haven't. I haven't spoken with John, but I tell you what, when I get seven, him and I are going to have a chat. <laughs> no, you know, you know what? I spent a lot of time with John this summer, and uh, he is – John John is, is, is great, man. You know what? The, cra- the hardest part about this time frame is, you know, where we are, people are like, okay, JV's the GOAT. Okay, John's the GOAT. We talk about influence and impact on the sport and what we've done for it. I think being the best ever goes beyond what you did on the wrestling mat. But John winning six in a row, like six championships straight, is something I don't think we'll ever see. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's really difficult to do. I tell you this. I was thinking about this the other day, and this might sound silly, but I have the longest win streak in all of USA wrestling right now. And it's only – and it's only – what is it, love, did I say? was It's nine matches, nine matches, and I have the longest win streak in all of USA wrestling. Think about that. All the starters from the Olympic Games, either everyone who won, either won the Olympics didn't win the world championships or won the world championships didn't wrestle at the trials. Yeah, until Gable comes back. And so 
That's right. That's right. Until until Gable, uh, Gable Stevenson. I forgot about Gable. So if, if Gable comes back, I'm then he's okay. he's got the longest streak. But at this point of currently active wrestlers, I have the longest win streak, and it's only nine matches. And I was also thinking about this. I think Sajalayev is he's somewhere in the either high fifties or low sixties mm-hmm. for his streak. Um, so he's still got a little bit to go to get to sixty nine. But I think David was somewhere in the fifties. Yes. Somewhere in the 50s, too, for his streak. And, and he uh, he hasn't lost. I feel like he hasn't lost. I don't even remember the last time I saw Was it Jaden? Jaden back in 2017? Jaden, yeah. At yes. So, he, I mean, it's been it's been four years, bro. It's it's wild. And I think about how long a period of time. And he had a year off in there. But that 69 matches streak that I won, I feel like I was wrestling a whole lot at that point because it only took me like three years. I didn't really wrestle most of 2011 because I didn't come out until, you know, the U S open, but, and it got broken in 2014. So 2011 to 2014, I wrestled 69 straight matches, um, which is wild. It's, it's pretty crazy. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about a lot of stuff. I, yeah. I'm, I'm into, I'm into the, the, to my, like my place in history and thinking about all that. But honestly, Tom Brady said it best. He's like, stop asking me how long I'm going to play. He's like, I don't know how many years I want to play. I only know how many championships I want to win. And that's how it is for me. I don't know how many years I'm going to wrestle. I just know that I want to have more than six championships when I finish. So that's when awesome. I get that seven, then I'll start contemplating what the move is moving forward. But as of now, I feel, I feel good. I'm confident in my abilities, and I'm going to stick around for a while. I remember the uh, – I think it was the first time you were ever on FRL. It was 2016, and this is before we were even videotaping the show. You you tricked me and, and uh, you said that you were going to retire after the 2016 Olympics. This was before the Olympic Games. You messed with me pretty hey, hard. I would have won. I might have went over to MMA, made a couple bags, beat up Ben in the ring and <laughs> the wrestling. Well, um, let's get it. Ben, what do you think? One fight. How much do you think I can make in one fight if I just did one fight? What's some if we if we if we made it like worldwide known and we were like JB is shopping the market he's going to do one fight only mixed martial arts anywhere in the world what do you think i can make well the hard part about that would be it'd be hard for the ufc to want to invest in you if they knew you were going to come beat up someone that they were going to have for a long time and then you were going to be gone forever so what i would say is if you were going to do that that was really your strategy you would go to someone like a triller or someone like that who wants the the circus wants the freak show and you pick a very specific opponent, and I think the number would be—I uh, think it would be pretty big as long as it was some. So you'd have to have someone else on the other side that was pretty marketable. Yeah. Do I want a fighter, or do I want? Fortunately, I'm not on the market because I'm still under UFC contract. What do this? Here's the thing: Do I want? Where Where do you go? Who fights me? Who fights yeah. me? Who do I want to fight? Do I want to fight someone that's young, up and coming? Do I want to fight someone that's seasoned, no. that has a name, yeah. isn't as good as someone with a big name? Yeah. Huge name. Huge name, not a super salty, experienced fighter. Jake Paul. Jake Paul, yeah, fight fight a Paul brother. I should fight someone who's hip replaced. (laughs) I just told you I'm not in the market because I'd have to get on a UFC contract. (laughs) I think Jordan really wants to fight Ben. We we can see. I don't want to fight Ben, but Ben, you still owe me an apology, bro. For what, the Kyle Dick thing? Let's let's go ahead and get it out the way now. I'm just gonna okay. Read up. B 
being being mad at people is is draining. Of course. It's draining. It takes a ton of energy and I'm over it. I forgive you, but you still owe me an apology live on air for the Kyle Dake debacle. Because if you're in journalism and you're working for a media outlet, that would never happen. Well, I don't, do I don't consider myself a journalist, but I will, I will apologize. Now here's how I thought it was going to go. So it was, okay, let's get out of the way. I'm sorry, Jordan, for bringing Kyle Dake on. Now Thank here's you. how Amazing. I thought it, here's how I thought it was going to go. I didn't realize it was going to be that contentious. Uh, and I actually tried to let you know because I told Christian, but then Christian didn't want any fun. So then I went, I went behind Christian's back and set it up without his knowledge. Uh, and I thought it'd be fun banter back and forth. That's why I'm with Christian, man. Christian is, he does everything by the book. He makes sure that <laughs> guys are taken care of. Christian called me the first thing he did after we got off that call. He called me and apologized. Like, hey, I'm extremely sorry. I have no idea what just happened. It was, it was such a wild <laughs> wild um day but it's it's hard bro that's one of the things that like having beef with people it's hard mm-hmm. one of the things i realize now is one you can beat guys without hating them you don't have to hate someone to beat just beat them Agreed. this is it's your thing whatever i i just want to beat you i'm competitive i want to win this matchup two it's draining especially because everyone has to spend so much time together you know i pop up back at the world championships like surprise guys i'm back i made the team again now we all have to be friends Right. So it when you're in such close vicinity with people, like it doesn't pay off to have any sort of like negativity or tension in the room. It's stupid. You know, for a sport with so many tough guys, like we have such fragile ego egos. Um all of us. You know, and so everyone's like either ignoring you or they don't really want to talk to you, or they don't want to say what's up, or they go out their way to avoid you. I think that we need to kind of like reflect and think about where we are as a sport and where we are as men and how we operate amongst one one another and uh, and figure out how we can, you know, operate with a lot less tension because it's stupid. It's stupid. Like you just go and you're just like, you just want to, you just want to. So are you, have, are you telling us you and Kyle Dick are good now or what? No, I mean, I don't know if Kyle Dick and I will ever be great friends, but That's- I, I think there's a mutual respect for one another. It's like Larry Bird and Mike and Magic Johnson. It's like, I need Kyle. He pushes me. He needs, he needs me. I push him. And there's room for us to coexist, clearly. We both had great world championships. We both are world champions now simultaneously, which is the first time ever. And we both have successful careers. We're making money. We have great families. So, and we're respected in the wrestling community. So when we were there, right at first, there's that kind of little awkwardness. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, good luck this week. Hey, good job. Congratulations. Um, you know, good luck with your little one on the way. How's the family? And then you just kind of move full circle and you move along as opposed to like purposely ignoring a person. Like when they come in the room, you just walk mm-hmm. out or you just like make sure not to make eye contact. and Don't look, it's just stupid. Um, so I think that we're kind of in a place now where I, I hope that I can be in that space with everyone where they understand that, listen, I got no beef with you. I respect everything that you've done. There's room for us to all make money, coexist, have a good time and be legendary. Uh, it's just what it is. Yeah. Well, that's good. It, with that sort of mindset, is it easier, you know, you've, you've kind of gone, gone up through this and you've had very known sort of nemesises or nemeses, however you say it. Um, is it easier to be like, man, this guy is, this guy is an enemy and just to keep him over here. And I don't want to be friends with this guy cause he wants what I want. And how was the process of getting to where it's like, man, I can be cool with Kyle Dake. It's all right. Yeah. I, I mean, 
you want to be here's the hard part you want to be cool with people who who have good intentions so so that's the thing clearly we all want to win fine what i don't absolutely know with certainty is that if we were friends that he could be a trustworthy person that i could share information with and that he would always have my back because we've been enemies for such a long period of time that i know his camp has kind of preconceived notions of who I am, how I operate and how they view me. And the same thing with our team. So, you know, it's, it's, it's different. We're in a different space, but I think that what I can do is I can always treat him with, with respect. I can always operate with, with integrity when I'm around him and I can, you know, give him the thing that every man desires. And that's just to be acknowledged and to, you kind of move forward without, you know, having to, Put yourself in an awkward situation unnecessarily like listen we're both going to be around whether it's not as competitors it, it just in the wrestling community you know we're both legends in this sport so for every hall of fame event every ncaa championship every flow wrestling event we're going to be at a lot of the same places for the next 50 years um so he's got to get used to me and i got to get used to you know him regardless of how we feel against one another i think maybe someday when we're not competitors anymore we'll sit down and we'll realize how silly the beef that we had was um, and I hope that we can get to that space. Uh, and I, and I hope I can get to that space with everyone, right? It's the same thing with Imar, you know, after that matchup this summer, I was pissed. I'm gonna be absolutely honest. I was, I was hot because I was training. I was prepping. I was ready. I bought plane tickets for my family. Like we were like all these different things. Like we spent all this money. We had all these plans. We we're working vacation around it. And then all of a sudden it doesn't happen just because he didn't want to make weight. Uh, so that was tough. When I saw Imar at the trials, I ignored him. I didn't talk to him. Um, but now at this point, I'm like, that was stupid. Like sometimes when I do that stuff, I'm like, that was stupid. That was pointless. And if my kids did that, I would, I would yell at them and make them say hello. <laughs> so, you know, it, I'm just trying to trying to be the things that I preach and that I, I, that I teach in terms of being a leader. Because um, if you're a leader, you have to sometimes jump on grenades and you have to be uncomfortable. Um, so I think that's going to be something that I continue to learn to do because I don't have to be mad at you to beat you. I just want to be the best. That's just it. Yeah, that's that's awesome and admirable. Did you see at, at the World Championships, did you see Sargush? I saw him walking around. I got a little – he agitated yeah, I saw, me. I saw Sargush. I, um, that's the ultimate test. Because <laughs> he, he's a dirty son of a gun. I Actually, when I was in uh, Budapest 2018, him and I – so I'm coming up from the sauna. I was working out late one night to get my weight down for first day. And then I got out of the sauna, I opened the elevator, and there was only one other person in the elevator, and it was Sargooch. Oh, my gosh. Was, oh, my <laughs> Nightmare. And I'm like, six, please. He pushes six. And he just said, like, he just gave me an eye. I said, hello. And then as I was getting off the elevator, he just said, good luck. And that was it. That was our conversation, our whole conversation. Hello, good luck. Boys um, he speaks I, English. I talked to him this weekend, and – and it was weird because Russia had on burgundy uniforms. And I was like, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. What is this burgundy warm-up? What's, what country is this? What's, I haven't seen these before. Um, but one of the cr- crazy dynamics, too, about being in that back room is so we're wedged directly between Iran and Russia. So whenever we have a big victory, we got our bells, everyone's yelling, congratulating, screaming at the screens. Iran, they had that crazy run where they won like uh, – 10, 12 matches straight. Yeah. Then 
you know, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're cheering. And then after Kyle and Sajalayev in the finals, when Sajalayev came back and Tadiev came back, they were like throwing him up in the air, like, oh. like he's a jolly good fellow. Like, it was, <laughs> bro, it was crazy. And we're just like, ah. So they're like partying right next to us. But it's a uh, Sargush at this point. He's no threat to me anymore. I've outlasted him. So I don't really think that, you know, it, I, I, we don't have any beef. It's whatever. He's, he's been cordial. Whenever I see him, we just kind of give each other that mutual agreement. Like, what's up, dude? Hope you're doing well. How's your family? All right, peace out. Got to go. Um, so it's, yeah, it's easy going. Nice. Well, Jordan, man, you've been so generous with your time. Um, do, do you have anything else before we let you get out of here? No, no, man. Everything's great excited about what this future is going to hold. I'm not sure when my next competition will be, but I can assure you that I will be at the bout at the ballpark on February 12th down in Texas. Um, So that's definitely on my list of things to do. Um, I'm excited about that competition. You could try to recruit Gable out of his, uh, his uh, several month retirement and get him to wrestle Zare. Yeah. Yeah. We could use him. I don't know. Gable looks like he's loving life. And every time I see him, he's got Gucci shoes on. He's got a G wagon. He's got a big chain. He's it, life's good for Gable. It's, it's been rightfully earned, man. He's done a really good job branding himself, but even better job at competing at the highest level. Um, and he should enjoy the spoils of all the labor that he has, but you know, we'll see. I'll put a good word in, see if we can get him back. You know, we've got a great team with quiz as well, but you know, I think that, Gable earned his rightful spot as our representative um, at the Olympic trials and the Olympic games. So if we can get him back, even just for a six week cycle, try to get him back against Zaire. But I tell you what, that Iranian heavyweight is a beast, bro. And like, you yeah. can't just come back and wrestle him. You, you have to be prepped. You got to be ready. And if Gable's not ready to do that, then I, I completely understand. Um, so we'll see how things kind of pan out, but I'm going to hit him up and be like, yo, Gable, what's up, bro? We need you. Let's go. Come back. It's, it's going to be a great duel. They got a good squad, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're awesome. They love you in Iran. I mean, that was some of the loudest ovations were when you came out. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're good to me. Let's hope they, uh, they pack the stands, but let's hope we have a few more American fans and Iranian fans that day, too. Heck, yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I was glad to see you, you and Ben hash it out. Um, two of my favorite people in the sport are none. It's yep. awesome to see you back on top, JB. Ben, I'll send you my Coinbase wallet um, afterwards so you can send me a Bitcoin. That's the only way I'm accepting your apology. Uh, that's one, yeah, that's you fair. That's fair. One Bitcoin. Have you got a Bitcoin yet? Nah, I don't have any Bitcoin. Oh, man, you need to start doing your research. I know. Create some I generational know. wealth for Beacon and Aura. Hey, they got to earn it themselves, bro. They ain't getting any of my money before I die. <laughs> I'm oh taking my goodness. credit card and swiping it one last time, zero dollars before I pass. <laughs> they got to earn all their own money. Awesome, man. Well, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Uh, look forward to watching you compete again. And uh, thanks, thanks so much for everything. We'll see you next time. Yeah, see thanks, you. guys. See you, boys. See you, Jordan. The one and only Jordan Ernest Burroughs. Six-time world so, Olympic champion. Man, I didn't know how long that was going to go, but, uh, you know. Six minutes to talk about Super 32. <laughs> Just along for the ride. Super 32, in a nutshell, it was amazing. It was great. It's great every year. The the gold standard in how to run an awesome tournament with a lot of people. And, um, yeah, it was great. Ben, I'd, I'd be, uh, I don't know if there's anything 
I don't think we need to put a bow on the Jordan conversation. It was all it was all great. Yeah, it kind of speaks for itself. I so I think, uh, but I mean, I think you guys were getting bored with the social media talk, but but I really enjoyed it, and um, you know, I think uh, he has, and I said this, he has his perspective, and he he does a great job with it. But I don't think everyone can use the same tactics, and I, I think his point with, you know working before you're posting is probably very valid but i think also i i think if he really thought deeply about what he did early in his career he would have some more uh points of advice for young athletes on how to manage that yeah yeah possibly so and he he, i was gonna bring up his uh his olympics tweet in 2012 where he said the next yeah he brought it up i'd forgotten about that yeah i remember that he's for him to say that that was a mistake i can't believe i did that I thought that was funny and good self-awareness there. But Super 32. Okay, I don't know where to start exactly. Uh, the the showdown between Bo Bassett and Anthony Knox was um, was great that it happened and both made it in dominant fashion. I guess uh, it, it was definitely the most discussed match, the two, two of the most discussed wrestlers here. Ben, I'm... Uh, I just like to know your your thoughts on the match. I was in both guys. I told you I, I hadn't. I'd watched Anthony Knox one time, and that that was my second time. Holy crap, that dude's good. <laughs> Super good. He's really good. He's really because Bo Bassett's the real deal, and it wasn't really all that competitive. He kind of won in almost every position. You know, bottom. He he ended up getting cut. So I guess you'd say maybe you know he didn't win bottom, but he I think he got two turns on top. I think he got two takedowns. Um. Man, he looked really, really good. Um, so is he a freshman or sophomore? I, I don't even know this. He's a freshman. Freshman. Yes. He hasn't even yeah, wrestled so. a high school match yet. Wow. And, um, yeah, then I saw he called out Jezzaroga, which I kind of love that. You know, I think he should go 113 and beat the 113 champ and then maybe move up and then, you know, kind of go in well, order. Um, he What's did. Up? I mean, he won. Who's number one at one thirteen? Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, that was one thirteen. Yeah. No, that oh, was six. It, oh, it was. Yeah. All right. I'm That's confused. what I thought. I thought it was one of six. Yeah. He beat so Lil either, Dog either way. At thirteen, right? Mm-hmm. And then moved oh, up. And it, it sounds like he's done at six. Um, Super thirty two night before weigh ins. He was like cutting down to take out Bassett. I can do it. And now it's like, yeah, but I'm not going that for regular season. Um, man, yeah. So I, I'm very impressed with him. He's so good. Um, Will, I was actually really impressed with Will at all. I had, I'd watched him. I, I watched him. Maybe he bumped up a weight or something. I know the planes now. I wasn't all that impressed. And then I watched him this week. I'm like, damn, that dude's he's really good. That was a really um, good match overall. I thought, which one? The the, the craps Lilladol match. Yes. Yeah, it was a really good match. But I, I was I was even more impressed with him in the um. In the semis, he faced uh, Kilkiri, and man, he looked so good against him. Yes, yeah, that was a good match. Um, the the big standout for me, well, there are a couple, but PJ Duke really, uh, for him to be that dominant yeah. at a really tough weight as a freshman, I'm pretty sure. Yes, uh, man, that guy's that guy is just going to be a superstar. Superstar, and I feel like we yeah, haven't. Dang, seen you guys had him all the way down at ten. Injured. Wow. Okay, because yeah, I was wondering why we didn't see him at cadet trials or anything like that. Because that yep. looks like uh, a cadet world medalist to me. Yeah, he was injured, but to major Corey Land, a senior in the finals who has been in the Super Thirty Two finals, rode him out an entire period too, which is grown man stuff. 
it, it was uh, really impressive. So the match I actually want to see there at, at that was um, Cannon Webster. I feel like Cannon Webster had um, Corey Land on the ropes in the, I don't know the did. semis or quarters. And then there was this gigantic break. And I, I, I really couldn't figure out what was being contested. Um, cause I, I was kind of watching another match and then I was, you know, glancing over. So I don't know, JD, if you know what was being contested in the match, but the, the break was forever. I mean, it was they probably wanted, a five minute break in action. Yep. They challenged a takedown, but there's only one review official at super 32s in the semis. And he was on a different mat looking at or doing a review. So it took, he had to finish mm-hmm. that review and then come over and do the review for that match. So that's why it took so long. Yeah, so that was, I mean, that was, uh, uh, man, it felt, you know, it felt as though the momentum shifted there because I thought Cannon Webster really had him tired. And then, you know, that five minute break really kind of changed things. So I would, I would really enjoy seeing PJ Duke and uh, Cannon Webster also. I, I, I've been really impressed with Cannon Webster a whole bunch of different times. Um, so that would be curious to see how that turns out. Yeah, he looked great. He ended up third, came back. Yeah. Even to Robinson twice. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, he's really good. But yeah, I, PJ Duke, I had never watched, you know, these young guys, I don't really watch them until they get a little older. Uh, he, he was, he's really good. Our guy, Bowman, Bowman Tanona. That's right, baby. Gets the last I'm second bad. turn. He's, uh, he's nothing but action. He does some crazy stuff. I actually love Joel Adams, too. Joel Adams is a That beast. was a win win for me. Yeah, they're both awesome. One of the biggest stock up guys, uh, Koi Biskins. Am I saying that right? Yep. Koi, I think it's Koi Buskins, but it looks like that, but it's pronounced Bis- yeah. Biscuits. How can you be so sure about this? Uh, because I mispronounced it in his quarterfinal and was corrected. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I didn't know much about him, to be honest, uh, yeah. and, uh, coming into this tournament, but uh, I definitely do now. Yeah, he was really uh, he was really impressive. Our guy Grayson Clark actually they they met in the blood round at Fargo and Grayson had won that match and then Grayson lost to him in the what round of sixteen or something. And you know I thought that was a match he was going to win. I guess I wasn't. I kind of underestimated Buskins and then uh, he went. Yeah, Buskins. he went on a whatever his name is. <laughs> he went on a run and made the finals and he looked really really good. I thought he looked good against Buzakis, who was a, a pretty large favorite here. I. Yeah, it was close. Sure said, it was a close match. I'm pretty sure you said he was like one of the bigger favorites. And Buzakis at this weight, like there weren't, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a, a pretty competitive match. I mean, and he yeah. majored Mac Church in the semis, right? Yeah. yeah, that was impressive. So he's a definitely a stock up kind of guy. Another guy. Hey, when are the new rankings coming out? I would assume very soon. Yes, probably twenty-seven minutes. Maybe Thursday. Thursday, the latest. That would be nice. Uh, maybe one of the biggest surprises. This could be the biggest surprise. Was is MJ Guyton taking out Levi Haynes in in that finals match? And a match where I think you got to give all the credit to to Guyton for going out and winning the match. I would love to see this match again. I think tactically, if Levi could have wrestled it a little bit differently in that third period, it could have been a different result. There's a chance, maybe not, but. I felt like his movement and his pressure was getting some good reactions out of Guyton and that he maybe got a little too, felt a little bit too much pressure early and trying that headlock, which really, I think, kind of sealed his fate after he had the failed head and arm. Yeah. It was, it's really tough to get, come back against a, an elite guy like that with short time. 
Yeah, Gaetan, uh, I mean, he, he's been good. He, he wrestled one of our guys in the finals of the showcase last year, the one they had in Iowa. He's been good, but, um, I mean, this is a gigantic step up for him. He really made some good progress because um, he's never had results quite like this. So I was really impressed with his final because I have not watched a lot of Levi Haynes, but listening to you guys talk about him, I also didn't think it was going to be competitive. And then, man, Gaetan really wrestled really, really well. Cal Bap, getting a good one. Cal Baptist, yeah. you got a Messenbrink, and now you got uh, Guyton. Yeah, it's a good start. Yeah, fantastic start. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Chittam won. He was a 10-5 winner over Jackson Arrington, who we all think is think a lot of. But Chittam yeah. definitely separated himself. Chittam, like, wrestles. If I was going to show somebody just starting out wrestling, I think I'd be like, watch Cody Chittam yeah. film. Goes yeah. hard, hard paced, competitive, can kind of score from everywhere. Um, he's, he's super well rounded. The name I you guys didn't bring up yet uh, that I was I you know and I actually kind of watched this guy kind of beat up one of my guys a couple weeks back, so I watched him. Um, there was Matt Singleton, and now I want to see a match with him and Gabe Arnold because I think they're I don't know how what order you guys are going to put them in, but I believe them to be one and two at that weight class now. Um, he's really, really good and kind of good everywhere, right? Good on top, good on bottom, um, good offensively, pretty good defensively. Um, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of a powerhouse. He's going to be going to NC state, correct? Think yes. Along yes. with another super 32 champ, Chase Horn. NC state had a good tournament. Yes, they did. Um, yeah. So what do you think? Can we put, can we put Gabe Arnold and Singleton together or what? Is there a chance they'll hit during the season? Would they both? I, would, I have no idea on their high school schedules. I know he's from Atlanta, from Georgia. Would, would Singleton go to well, I mean, Ironman? Arnold competes for Wyoming Sim. Woodward Academy, I don't think, travels too much to those tournaments. Dude, if they were at Ironman, that would be legit. Let's do yeah. them, plus uh, Knox, Jezroga. Yeah, no, oh, so Knox, after his interview... Said, um, you know, we have a clip of him. Okay, saying it. Let's go to the clip. Hey, great stuff. Anything else for us? Um, I mean, I hope Jezruga takes care of business. I want to. I want that match. I want that match on a flow card. I want to prove that I'm the best at 106, 113, and 120. So, let's go. Let's get that match. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's pretty sick. Uh, so he wants a match with Jezruga. He won uh, the one third. He, he beat, beat the one thirteen. Yeah, who just won super? So he beat he beat Lilladal at, um, at six. Who's number one? Then Lilladal yes. moved up to one thirteen. Obviously, won super thirty two. Um, but Braden Davis wasn't there, so they kind of hammered Lilladal, huh? So there's some. Oh. Yeah, he did. He did. But so yeah, and, now he wants uh, Jezaroga. Jezaroga beat him at last year's super thirty two. It was someone's yeah. at six six or something like five, that. Five five. Five, five. And ultimate tiebreaker. Wow. So Jessaroga, he had a couple close matches, you know, throughout. He was down 4-0 to Davina, who I think a lot of people, that didn't seem to surprise a lot of people. Everyone was super yeah. high on Davina mm-hmm. going into that match. I don't think a lot of people were picking him to win, but it seemed like everyone had agreed this is going to be a thing, and he was down 4-0 and had to, had to gut it out. Uh, that was yeah. a semi, right? That's having me a quarter. quarter it was a quarter. Quarter. There's no way to know for sure. Well, I don't think Davino placed. That's why I'm pretty sure it was the quarter. Oh wow. Yeah. Holy I'm pretty cow. sure I watched. Drop down uh, blues. What? 
I'm pretty sure I watched the blood around match. Let me let me look to make sure I'm not full of crap. Um, but yeah, so yeah, hey, yeah, so is is Lilidal then going to go in number at number two at one thirteen probably? So it'll be Braden Davis and Luke Lilidal. Well, I think uh, I don't know. So where do you rank Knox? Knowing um, oh, knowing he's going to be at thirteen. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how they'll do it. So because Knox would yeah. be number one. I don't think we'll rank. I don't know where I don't know where David Bray is going to rank Anthony Knox. I think probably one thirteen makes sense since that's where he'll be moving forward. But he could be at one oh six because he won who's number one at one oh six and super thirty two. So he might just do that until he changes weights. Um yeah, Davino lost to Omar Ayub Ayub from Ohio ten to five in the bull round. Oh wow. Yeah. It's a meat grinder. Nothing easy meat about grinder. this tournament. It is. There there really is. I mean, there's not a tournament that's this deep and this tough where you have to win, you know, it's one of these tournaments where you have to win so many matches that are hard to place. It's not like you're going to sneak in somehow and someone, you know, injury default or forfeit. And then you win maybe, you know, like Fargo potentially mm-hmm. you have a couple early matches that easy and maybe you catch a, a leg lace or a trap arm gut and you win that match. And then someone injury defaults or there's an upset and you're sneaking into the place rounds. This one ain't happening. You you have to win a whole bunch of tough matches. Yeah, there there's really nothing like it in um in high school Not wrestling. Really. There's really nothing like it in in college wrestling in a way because I mean that you have the NCAA tournament, but just something where there's like literally 50, 60 guys that are kind of really There's rounds of 256. Hit. Round of 256 and Justin Roga weights. had a had a tight one in his <laughs> round of 256 match and he won the thing. Like at NCAAs, that's pretty rare to see. You know? Close match, yeah. He won five two that first round. Obviously, NCAAs is tougher, so don't be don't be weirdos and take this out of context. But.